Thanks, Phil. Good morning again. You had a number of people say good morning to you this morning, so that's really encouraging. I bet you never get that many people saying good morning to you, oh, unless you work in a big office or so. It's my privilege to, um, to lead you this morning in the Word. And um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Andrew. I'm um, one of the leaders here and, and a pastor at the moment. And it's a real privilege to be able to be part of this church. And again, you know, we talked a little bit about the start of a new year. And, and I'm going to be talking about that this morning as well. You know, we, the, um, I was here last week and Sue and I had been away in, in WA and had a great time with family. And we came back last week and... I'm just noticing the church is dribbling fuller as people are sort of wandering back from their holiday destinations. Those of you that have been back for a, a whole week are probably, it's a, long, it's a memory, a distant memory and you're ready for another one. Some of the mothers, your holiday is coming in about a week or so, right? And um, though there's still a few people to come back, but it's so good, like Phil prayed, it's so good to be able to have a bit of a break and um, do something different. And those of you that haven't been able to do that, um, it's coming and we sure hope that you can. You know, um, it's a new year and you, you kind of, I don't know what you're like, but uh, whether you begin thinking at the end of the year before or at the start of a new year and you're looking ahead to a new year and, and like me, do you think, you know, what, what, what's it going to look like, you know, this new year? What are you going to see? Um, what are you going to do? Um, I'm, I'm a sort of planner, but I'm not real good at making it happen. That's why I married Sue. And um, I don't know what it's like for you, but do you look forward to this next year? How many of you are really looking forward to it, are really excited about what you've got in mind? Right, about five of you. By the end of the... Ser- no, seriously. I mean, I get that, you know, and it's interesting because Sue and I had a bit of time after we hung out with family. We had a week together bit of driving around and, and when you drive you, you talk. Uh, we talk during the year as well but you know when, when, you, when you drive you talk and you know we we're just reflecting you know for me this year marks 25 years of full-time ministry without a break and so when you begin to look at a new year and, and those of you that have been around church for a long time and particularly if you've been around leadership of the church for a long time there seems to be this cycle where you're going to be and off you go again and you start thinking, I catch myself asking, 25 years of full-time service, has it been useful? Has it, has it had results? Um, have I left a legacy, you know? Was it worth it? And is it just me that asks those sorts of questions? No? Thanks, Glenn. I'm glad you're back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know and, and luckily I have a few examples that it is. You know, just last year, a guy that I discipled for some time, for a number of years, about 20 years ago, he now happens to be a management, a, a top-end management consultant in Europe and a bit of a guru, and his first book came out, and he sent me a copy of his book, and right in the back of his book, after thanking his family, he thanks me by name, and it really touched me, you know, and really, because I never knew, well, I, never, I had an idea, but you don't hear much about it, and thankfully, there's been a few things over the years and people that I feel like I have been able to have some influence on, but what if I didn't? What if I didn't? Would I still be just as keen to put in the hard yards? Would I still be just as keen to serve for this next year? I ask myself. You know, and I have to admit that at the start of a new year, everything beginning again, I can sometimes, I don't know what you're like, but I can sometimes look ahead and wonder if I can do it all again. 
Can I do number 26? Can I get it all going again? Can I be just as enthusiastic about it again? Can I be creative? Can I conjure up a new way to do things so that, that you know, we, we get that, that I end up being an influence on people? Is it worth it? And what motivates me? Do you ever get the same? Do you ever the same when you start a new year and, you know, you think another year, repeat the process, you know, we pressed pause in December and then you press play again in, in January, late January, February and, you know, church family, work, you know, and you spend the first week after your holidays wishing, why can't I live there and live like that? Anyone ever do that? Yeah, you do, don't you? If you say you're not, I, I'm going to call you out. You know, Joel, while we, while we were all away relaxing, or some of us were away, Joel has been encouraging us with the words of Hebrews 10. And taking us through three weeks of that, you know, and just, just to draw near, to draw near to God, to, to hold fast. And then last week, to stir up and stir up each other. And words that were hugely encouraging and words that we needed. And last week, he spoke to us about that stirring up each other to good works. And, you know, I was thinking, but just like the writer of the Hebrews, Joel wasn't doing some good old rev up for the new year. Let's give the people a spiritual pump up. Let's uh, a call to arms. A uh, get the people serving again. Let's just rev people up. And we do need that. I need that. And and I think we all need that sometimes. At least I do. And I guess the Hebrews did too. But again, the writer to the Hebrews and Joel's encouragement was based on something way way bigger than that, as we'll see. You know, the writer in Hebrews 10, and we are going to get to read Hebrews in a bit, just be patient. The writer in Hebrews 10 has just spent the better part, right up to chapter 10 almost, the better part of his letter to the readers, reminding them of some pretty awesome stuff. And, and here's a couple of the things. There's stacks more in there, but let me just tell you a couple of the things that he really felt was really important to encourage the readers. And, and maybe encouragement for us because we are the readers today and one of the big things is the supremacy of Christ the, you know that that he is above all you know above all other noble or great characters they might have known or they knew that Jesus was supreme and that he had them and us in mind when he gave his life this was Christ and he was theirs then he talks about our rest. He calls it rest, quote-unquote. And basically what he's saying, it's the peace that we now have in knowing that what Christ did. He, the writer says, you know, you guys might be struggling, but you're in, the, you're in a place of rest. You have the peace of knowing what Christ has done for you. And then he reminds the readers that Jesus gets us. You know, when he talks about we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our lives. He, Jesus gets us in our journey. He walked earth with all of its issues then and he experienced temptation and the things that we experience. So we have a supreme Christ who gave himself for us, but he also gets us. Then he reminds them that God's promise is a sure bet. It's on. It's certainty. And he is who he said he is and his salvation is sure. That this Jesus brought us into a better covenant, one of grace and mercy, one where he did all the work, where he took all the responsibility, and we are the beneficiaries. The, the readers of the letter, you guys are the beneficiaries, and we are as well. That there now needs to be no more sacrifices. Christ did it all. 
So we can have full assurance and confidence. We can have faith. And that's what he talks about. And later on, we're going to be celebrating Lord's Supper, which is, a, which is actually just a practical outworking of that full assurance, that faith of what Christ did. And that led us up to Hebrews 10, where Joel focused on those few verses. Now, that's all good encouragement, right? Are you encouraged so far? That this is who we serve. This is why we're here. That's all good encouragement. But interestingly, Hebrews doesn't finish there, does it? There's a couple more chapters It's as if all that good knowledge and all that truth is true, but the writer wants to tell them more. He wants to to help them to get it. He wants to give them tools to understand that. So what I want to do is I want to read with you. We're going to do the reading now, and it'll be up on the screen, but please follow it along in your Bible or on your phone if you want. But I want to read it, and it you know, I'm not going to apologize. It's a long reading. We're going to read all of Hebrews 11 and even the last verse of Hebrews 10 to start with because I want you to hear it like it's part of the message. I'm going to read it, but it's hugely encouraging. And I don't know, how many of you have read Hebrews 11? Yeah, of course you have, and, and you know what it's about. But it's hugely encouraging, and I want to read it with us. And I want you, you know, if it's easy for you to look at the screen or easier just to, to close your eyes and listen, I want you to hear it as if this was written to you, as if we got this letter this morning at the start of a new year and the writer and the person that wrote the letter wanted to tell us about faith. So here we go. Chapter 10, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and, pers- and, pers- and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Miracles. By faith, Abel Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he shouldn't see death, and he was, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was about to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of that same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, hints of heaven already. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. 
These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. That's an amazing verse. One day we'll preach on that. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, he blessed each of his sons, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the heads of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. I never thought of it like that as a kid. They never say that bit in the stories as kids. He was beautiful. Let's save him. But he was beautiful, and they weren't afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater, a greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured it as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea, as on the dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute didn't perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And he's, he's on a roll here, isn't he, the writer? And so this is what he does now because he's thinking this is going to get way too long. Anyone feeling that? So he says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Pocahontas has got some work to do. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, chains of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Makes this year, don't look, doesn't look that bad for me this year, right? What about you? I don't have flogging on the list. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not 
be made perfect. If you followed along, if you just heard two words, those two words should have been by faith. By faith, the motivation. These guys, they didn't see it, it didn't make sense, they were hurting, but they knew that there was something better. We can, that's what we're going to talk about, by faith. You know, the last part of chapter 10, before the part that Joel preached on for three weeks, the writer names and acknowledges and recalls some of the challenges, some of the stuff that the, the listeners or the, the, the recipients of the letter were going through. He's, he talks about some of the challenges and how tough it's been for them. And he says, but we're not going to give up because we are those that have faith. And I'm going to tell you what that looks like because there's been others He uses chapter 11 to explain what that faith looks like and how it actually works, how it was the motivation by faith. No, not by effort. And not just a couple of references, a lot. You know, he could have just done a few verses and and talked about a couple of the big people that they would have all known about, the big heroes. And then he could have said, like I would do, oh, and there's stacks more. But he didn't, didn't he? He talks about a lot. In fact, he goes totally overboard with this overwhelming list doesn't he you know the interesting thing is that he does this because he spent the first part of hebrews as i said telling them reminding them knowledge isn't it truth knowledge is important and truth like he points out in the first 10 chapters is really important and it's true for us it's important but those things can and never will be the main motivation Never the main power to do what God calls us to do. Knowledge and truth is never the main power. That's not the the power to press in, to press on, to go the extra mile, to start a new year, or in their case, stand under challenge and oppression. Knowledge is real. Knowledge is real and, and truth is actually the truth. You can't always see it, feel it, experience the comfort of it. It doesn't always make sense, does it? The result isn't always clear. And whilst grit and determination, which is one of those things that we encourage our kids to and ourselves to, to, um, you know, when you go to the gym or if you get your new diet for the start, who's starting a new um, exercise regime for the start of the year? You don't want to put your hand up because I'll ask you about it. Yeah. Who's secretly starting a new... uh... You know, grit and determination is important too. You need to keep on keeping on at times. Use your effort. Hang in there and and do all that. But they're human things and and those things are often generated by ourselves. And, well, if you're anything like me, I can fall away and shrink back from things like grit and determination. And maybe you can too. We need something supernatural, don't we? You know, the listeners or the recipients of this letter needed something supernatural. Faith. He needed to remind him that you need to remember faith. You need to understand the power of faith, the deep knowledge that there is something, someone beyond myself that has this in hand. Someone greater, someone unshakable, taking care of the results, setting the standard, making it, making the future for us. And he has the plans in his hands. And that in the end, it doesn't depend on me alone. A motivation that comes from outside myself, beyond me. But that I am a part of something great. That I belong to someone great. I must be willing 
but God is able. He uses a whole chapter with stacks of examples, like I said, to remind them and help them to see that good things, big things, miraculous things happened. And when you read through it, if you read through it, if you know, I, I totally get it if you didn't get much of it. But if you go home and you read through it, and even if you want to read it in an easier version, the stuff that happened, you know, the miracles that happened by faith, the things that, that were achieved, not by these people doing them by grit and determination, but just by having faith that I've got to step and God is going to do this. The water is going to part because he said. The wall is going to fall and it doesn't make sense because it's meters thick. But it's going to fall because he said, I've just got to have faith that it's going to happen. I must be willing, but God is able. Big things, miraculous things happen by faith, not by grit and determination. The writer wants them and us to see that they're in good company. That, they, that though they might be struggling, though that things don't make sense, though things are tough and though you've got to get up again and do it again and have another go and though you've got to obey, you're in good company, much good company in fact. You see, they couldn't always see the sense and maybe they wouldn't always see the result of being obedient or serving or following but it was by faith that they continued to do what they'd been called or asked to do knowing that they were part of something much greater. You see, faith alters our perspective or our outlook, doesn't it? Faith enables us to see beyond ourselves, beyond our own energy, beyond our own ability. If I started this year and I thought, you know, can I do number 26? Can I, you know, can I read enough books? Can I get enough energy? Can I get enough creative ideas happening? Read enough creative books on how to lead a church or how to encourage a life group or how to get a mission team? Would it work? If I did it in my own energy and ability, would it work? I need to approach 20, year 26 with the faith that knowing that it's already planned. My role is obedience. My role is to do what God called me to do. My role is to get up and do it again if he says, get up and do it again. My role is to serve if he says to serve. So this is a really good lesson for me too at the start of this year. I approach sometimes another year of ministry here at One Hope and, and the work in Uganda. And if I'm honest, I can sometimes approach it with a bit of a sigh. You know, oh, a new year again. And I know I'm not alone at that. You know, yet another year of the same. Or sometimes worse, I can be reluctant or, or even have a bit of objection to, to having to do it all again. And I also do things. I listen to challenges and sermons like last week. I listen to podcasts. I read books and articles. You know, keep serving, do good works, uh, love the church, love the world. And I know the truth. I know all the stuff and I believe it. But probably like you, I flag as well. You know, I shrink back as well sometimes. I know how to work hard. I know how to be determined. I don't always see the sense in what God has asked me to do. I don't always see the results. In fact, in ministry, sometimes it can be the opposite. <laughs> As for obedience and serving making sense, I was thinking of something this week when I was doing this. I always joke with my family. When we lived in, in Holland, I always said, if we ever, the only way I'll ever move back to Australia is if we can live near the beach. How's that working for me after 13 years? All I've seen is trees of the Dandenongs. <laughs> didn't, that went well, didn't it? I never wanted to serve in Africa or India. 
I, when I started in missions, I always I never wanted to go to Africa or India. I figured Asia and Eastern Europe, that was where I, I loved it. And that's where I would say to God, I can be super faithful to you, God, if you only take me there. Look at where I am a lot of the time now. Hint, I love Uganda. And God does do that in you as well. What about you? What about us as One Hope? What about your and my part in the ministry of One Hope? Not just coming to church or not just being a Christian or signing up for another year of membership or you know, waiting for the middle of the year when, when we come stalking you with pledges again and all that sort of stuff. Not just that kind of stuff. What about the stuff that God's calling you to do as a part of this community and to do as a part of His plan in your life? Maybe there's new things coming, maybe not. Maybe it's going to be the same again this year. Perhaps last year you wondered why you were doing the things you did you were called, or the things you were called to do. You didn't feel like it had results or it didn't, you think it wasn't ringing your bell or it didn't really make much sense. And you're thinking, you know, I don't know if I'm going to do it again. It was a bit too hard. I got too busy and, you know, a bit tough. Are you looking forward to this next year with a sigh or... A question or a sense of, can I even do this? What will our motivation be for another year of ministry, another year of doing what God calls us to do? Will we just sheer knuckle down and hard work, grit, determination, obligation? That's one that comes up in me. You know, I actually get this thought sometimes. Well, I actually do owe God. I mean, we keep talking about salvation and, and he died. And, you know, and so this sense of obligation creeps in. Am I the only one that's like that? You think, well, you know, God kind of expects it. Quid pro quo, however you say that. Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, by faith. The writer says they did it by faith, not out of obligation or by hard work. I'm sure they had grit and determination, but in the end it was by faith. An assurance of the things that they hoped for that God had told them, and they'd heard the stories that there was a place. And in a few times in 11, you notice where some of them talk about they knew that there was a place being prepared for them. They didn't want to be rescued. There's a verse there. These, some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Imagine you're being tortured and someone says, would you like to go free? No, so that they might arise again to a better life. I'd rather die because I know there's something better. I can't say that I'm like that all the time. Faith is what they had left when their own can-do ran out. But they knew and believed that something bigger than them and their life was happening, that someone bigger was orchestrating everything, including their lives, and they just needed to play their part. And many of them died before they ever saw the result of their work. That verse always, I think, you know... If I'm honest, I seriously do not want that. How many of you are honest? Now, we live in a results-oriented society, probably. They were probably just as much like that in those days. But, you know, how many of you want to work really hard and not see the results of your hard work? Just as many of you are going to do exercise regime this year. <laughs> I, I seriously, I don't want that. And, and I'm lucky I've been blessed with a few good examples. But what if... You know, there's a story of a, I, I printed it out, and I thought I'd, I'd tell you. In 1912, a medical missionary, Dr. William Leslie, went to live and minister to tribal people in a remote corner of the DRC, the Democratic Republic, Republic of Congo. 
After 17 years of ministry, he turned to the U- returned to the U.S. a discouraged man, believing he had failed to make an impact for Christ. He died nine years after his return to the U.S., never ever seeing the result of his work. In 2010, so we're, we're a long way forward now, a team led by Eric Ramsey with Tom Cox World Ministries made a shocking and sensational discovery. They found a network of reproducing churches hidden like glittering diamonds in the dense jungle across the Quilu River from Vanga, where Dr. Leslie had been stationed many years before. Based on his previous research, Ramsey thought the Yanzi in this remote area might have had some exposure to the name of Jesus, but no real understanding of who he is. He was unprepared for his remarkable find. When we got there, we found a network of reproducing churches throughout the jungle. Each village had its own gospel choir, although they wouldn't call it that. They wrote their own songs and they would have sing-offs from village to village. They found a church in each of the eight villages scattered across 34 miles. Ramsey and his team even found a thousand-seat stone cathedral in one of the villages. He learned that this church got so crowded in the 80s with many walking miles to attend that the church planting movement began into surrounding villages. Apparently, Dr. Leslie crossed the Quilu River once a year from Vanga and spent a month travelling through that jungle carried by servants. He would teach the Bible, taught the children how to read and write, talked about the importance of education, who God was and told Bible stories. He spent 17 years in those villages. But then his service ended on a rocky note. He had a relational fallout with one of the tribal leaders and was asked not to come back. They later reconciled and there were apologies, but it didn't end like he hoped. His goal was to spread Christianity. He felt like he tried that for 17 years and never made an impact. But the legacy he left is huge. So they're not only in Hebrews 11, they're in modern day life as well. You know, um, so why chapter 11 of Hebrews? Why did he write that? I think the writer knew that his readers needed examples and I think he knew that they needed people to aspire to, to remind them that, that it works, that faith actually works. Examples of God using dogged faith to do great things. And we need those examples too, don't we? Examples to help us see that if we don't do what we're supposed to do, if we're not willing so if we, sorry, if we do what we're supposed to do, if we're willing, then God uses us for the kingdom because he's able. We need those examples too, at least I do. Not just for ministry, but even for life, guys. You know, it's not just about the ministry of One Hope. Family, work, you know, our rich theology in our denomination says that all of life belongs to God, doesn't it? Not just this church part or the worship or the youth group nights or your life group nights. All of life belongs to God. And faith is to be exercised in all of life. Motivation for the impossible, a Red Sea or a Jericho. Faith that there's better coming and that it's worth it. The hard yards are worth it. That God is in control and he is working a plan. And we fit in that plan, but we're not always the linchpin. We're in the plan, but we're not always the center of the plan. We're not always the main player in the plan, are we? Remember I said perspective alters faith. Faith is driven by the right perspective. Faith is the precursor to growth, to change, to kingdom expansion. So as you look ahead, 
You look at your year and look ahead to the year, whether you feel invigorated, whether you feel overwhelmed, or either way, you and I need that kind of faith, that assurance that God is in this, that God is doing something. He always has been and He still is. He's up to something and we're a part of it. He knows what we're up against. He knows what we feel. He knows what's going on. It's no secret to Him. The struggles we read on Facebook, we read in media, it does not surprise him. He doesn't say, whoops, I wasn't looking. How did it get there? He knows. He knows what's happening in our, in our town. He knows what's happening in our, right around us here. He knows what's happening in our families. He knows what's happening in our world, in Uganda and the places that we work in. It doesn't surprise him at all. And he knows he's going to use us. Let me say that again. He knows he's going to use us. He will use us. And he knows that we need encouragement and reminding. Grow in knowledge. Work hard this year. Push through when it's hard. Use grit and determination when you need to. But remember that it's by faith that God will move in us and through us, in you and through you. Be willing because God is able. You know, our future plan is set. It's secure. It's, it's done like some of these people, they... They didn't let go. They just knew. They had this incredible faith. Well, it's all said. It doesn't really matter what happens to me here. It doesn't really matter what it costs me, whether I get flogged or whether it's, it's tough or whether I've got to walk another 10 miles or whether I've got to camp in the bush somewhere or whether I've got to try to preach to an unruly crowd or whether I'm going to get imprisoned and chained or, or whether there's a, where I've, I have fear of taking my family through a river or whether how are we going to take these nations. It doesn't really matter because there's something that's bigger that's already done. You know, for us, it's the same. There's something big that's already done. Our future is secure. It doesn't really matter what happens here. We feel it. I'm not suggesting that we don't feel it, we don't suffer, and that we don't try to... I'm the worst at trying to make my life most comfortable. You know, I'm one of those people that if I, can, if I can find comfort, I'll find it. But it doesn't really matter because God has something bigger for us. The work of Jesus on the cross ensured that you and I don't need to fear what's coming. We can look forward, like some of the people, some of these examples, we can look forward with anticipation to a better place, to a better city, in the users, a better place to live, a better person, people to be with, a better God to live with. Not a better God, God to live with. You know, and... When we celebrate Lord's Supper, there's, there's lots of things that come to mind. I don't know what it's like for you, but there's lots of things that come to mind. Sometimes we celebrate it remembering, um, you know, remembering around Easter, remembering the suffering of Jesus. Sometimes we celebrate it and we, we celebrate it thinking, wow, you know, new life. However you celebrate or however we celebrate Lord's Supper, we celebrate it by faith. Just like these people did what they did by faith. We don't celebrate hoping that if we do this, that you know, it'll make future a little bit more set. We celebrate it by faith because our future is secure. Because what Jesus did was enough. When he gave his life, because he had us in his mind, that he knew that we needed him. So that's why we celebrate. We celebrate together. Because we need examples. We need people to remind us, you know, I'm not always doing great. You're not always doing great. I need a community of people to celebrate with me, to remind me that, yes, Jesus' body was broken for the forgiveness of my sins. Jesus' blood was shed for the complete forgiveness of my sins, that 
my sins don't need to drag me down. I don't need to flag or to shrink back. I need to look forward to what Christ has done for me. So we're going to celebrate this morning. I want you to, to celebrate by faith this morning. You know, Jesus pointed that when he was talking to the disciples. They were also people that, you know, it didn't make sense to them. Here's this Jesus. The last three years were incredible. Can you imagine hanging around with Jesus for three years? You know, two loaves. No, sorry, five loaves, two fishes. You know, preaching for, I don't know, how long did he preach for? We've got some work to do, Joel. Preaching for days, raising people from the dead, healing people. You know, they got to be with Jesus. And can you imagine walking with him and asking him questions? Um, Sometimes it might have been really confounding. You read some of his answers. Sometimes it was really confounding and they must have looked at each other and said, you ask him. No, you ask him. You know. But can you imagine? And so Jesus is, is about to point to something that's going to happen that, that I'm going to leave this place. But the reason I'm going to do that is because I'm going to make some, a better place for you. I'm going for you. So remember this. Remember and believe that my body was broken, my blood was shed so that your sins would be forgiven, which opens the door to heaven, to eternity for you and I. And that's what we do when we get together and remember that. So he's sitting with his disciples and on the night he was betrayed, he, he took the bread and um, when he had given thanks, he broke it. There you go, that broke really easy. He broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, and, and then they, they did that, and, and you can imagine they sat around. And then after the supper, you know, after they'd eaten, he, he takes the cup, and um, <laughs> in the same way, he took the cup and he said, This cup is my new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. And I wonder whether every time they had a drink of wine, they remembered it, whether they just didn't keep it for the, for the you know, Lord's Supper or communion moments. But he says there, if you read the words in, in, um, that he says, he says, do this as often as you drink it. Remember me because you proclaim, pro- proclaim the Lord's death. You think of it. You teach yourself about it. You talk to others about it. And he poured out the cup. And then he did say, you know, don't do this lightly. Don't do this flippantly. Don't do this just thinking, oh, well, this is just part of my schedule or in those days whenever they did that, this is what we have to do and we have to, you know, don't do this in our day. Don't do this just flippantly as, oh, well, this happens once a month. But remember that when we do this, we're actually remembering Christ's death for us. We're actually remembering that what he did opened the door, opened the pathway to something amazing for us. And that we can have faith that what he did was enough. And that can drive us. That can motivate us to be who he calls us to be and do what he calls us to do. So I want you to think of that. I want you to come forward. If you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you um, know that his death was for you, that your sins are forgiven, then we want to invite you to be part of this this morning and come and celebrate with us. So come on forward. We'll have a station over there and there. Come on forward, grab the elements, sit down, and then we'll celebrate it together. We'll remember and believe together. So take, eat, remember and believe by faith.
that Jesus' body was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. And take the cup, drink it, remember and believe that the blood of Jesus was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. What I'd like you to do is I want you to turn to the person next to you and we're going to take one minute. And I want you just to pray for them for this year and say, and just a real simple words, not pray long prayers, just pray, Lord, I pray that um, you would fill, fill, or whoever, that you would fill X with faith this year. Firstly, to know that you died for them and second, to do what you called them to do. Just turn and pray for each other. You get 30 seconds to each to pray for each other. And then we're going to close off our service with a, a song. Amen. You know, I, I look forward to 26. I look forward to year 26. I look forward to what God has for us, one hope. But I look forward to doing it together with you, not by myself, not by grit and determination. And I'll need to be reminded sometimes to have faith as I'll need to remind you. But we can do this because God's called us to do this. And um, he's given us the faith to do that. You know, I want to just read these, these last verses and I'm going to let the music team finish off the service for us. But in Hebrews 11, I want to talk about the vision, and it's a number of times, the vision they had of what was coming, you know. And it says, after the first group of people he talks about, these all died in faith, not having received the things they promised, but having seen them. Having received the things they promised, but they'd seen the things that they were promised. Having seen them and greeted them from afar. Like, it's coming. I'm going there. And acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak like that make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. They did what they did, seeing that there was a place for them. Let us serve knowing that there is a place for us, now in the kingdom of God, but in eternity with Him too. Amen? Let's stand. Thanks.